Hey, Whitewater, how you doing? Friends, if you were not here last week, you missed out. Look, you always miss out when you're not here, but last weekend was special. We all watched the recap video, right? But even a great video doesn't really capture what it's like to be in the room as person after person after person goes all in with their faith and all under the waters of baptism. I'm not going to lie. I'm still a little, bit, a little bit buzzed about it. Between last Thursday and Sunday, you heard it, 85 people got baptized at All-In Weekend. And you've heard, yeah. yeah. And that's some of us in this room, right? There's so many stories, so many amazing stories to tell that, uh, that it's, I, I couldn't spend this whole time telling them. It's really cool. Besides the 85, we've also had two people get baptized outside of uh, service times. So, so far in 2020, we've had 87 people get baptized. Now, I believe that 2020 is going to be the most amazing year in the history of Whitewater. I believe that, and I'm glad that you're here for it. So don't miss a Sunday or a Thursday, because this is going to be quite the ride. 87 people, right? And every one of them has a story, and every one of them matters to God. So if you were here last week, you heard David say that we have this insanely ambitious, amazing dream that maybe this year we could see 365 people get baptized between Whitewater and the ministries that we support. So if our Solve 7 partner missionaries, Denise and Laminda, baptize somebody in Sri Lanka, we're going to count that, right? If Adolphe Luke baptizes somebody at Living Water in Haiti, we're going to count that. But most of those people, by and large, are going to get baptized right here or right over there. That's just how it's going to work. And that number, 365, is outrageous. We've never seen that many people get baptized on a calendar year, ever, but we're hoping and we're praying and we're dreaming that it could happen. We know that God is always at work. Since the creation of the world to today, God has always been at work, but sometimes it feels like there's just a little bit extra, like there's just, he's really especially on the move right now. And when that happens, we just want to come along and keep up. So we're kicking off this series, we're kicking off this year with a series called For the One. We as a church want to be for the one. Now, when we say for the one, we mean two things by that. First of all, what we mean is that we are, before everything else, all about the one who is all about us. All right? We are all about the one who is all about us. Like the song says, we have arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. But we're also all about the one who doesn't yet know God, who hasn't yet committed to him. So when we say all, the, all, all about the one, we mean that Jesus is the one we live our lives for. He loved us and pursued us before we ever knew him. He died on a cross to bring us closer to him. He's the one. But we also mean the one that is far from God. The one person that you are investing in, that you are thinking about inviting to God and to Whitewater. Jesus said that a good shepherd leaves the 99 in open pasture and goes after the one, right? And we're asking all of you and us to be good shepherds this year. So one of our dreams is to see 365 people go all in, 87 down, 278 to go. But that's not all we're dreaming for. All right, at the end of this month, we're starting something really cool. I could not be more excited about it. It's, we're doing something called the Hope Campaign. Now, I know some of you guys just got a nervous twitch when I said the word campaign, all right? 
Uh, I want to be really clear on this. This is not the kind of campaign that raises money. There's no financial component at all. It's a campaign to raise hope, all right? We as a church exist to help people find hope in Jesus and a home in his church, right? That's why Whitewater is here. And we do a lot of help, all right? If you're new around here, you might not know just how much we do in our community and around the world. The needs are immense. We could always do more but it feels like, yeah, we're really moving on this help thing, all right? Thanks to your generosity at Christmas Eve, we're gonna be able to help more people in 2020 than we have ever before. And home, we're always at work trying to help people settle in and connect at Whitewater for this to be their church home. But this spring, we are gonna be laser-focused on hope. Now, you'll hear more about it as we get closer to it, all right? But the hope campaign is about finding hope and it's about sharing hope. Finding hope and sharing hope. Because in many ways, our nation and our world are hopeless in a way that is unique in our lifetimes. A lot of the social problems that we see today are directly and indirectly linked to a lack of hope. For example, take, uh, take heroin and the opioid epidemic, all right? In a scientific paper published by the American Public Health Association, I read this statement. Although drug supply is a key factor, the crisis is fundamentally fueled by economic and social upheaval and is closely linked with the role of opioids as a refuge from physical and psychological trauma, isolation, and hopelessness. Journal of Public Health. Isolation and hopelessness. Translation, for those of us that don't regularly read medical journals, right, is while if you, don't, if you can't, don't have access to heroin, you're not gonna probably do heroin, the issues that are most likely linked to, be, to abuse isn't access to the drug, right? The issues that signal abuse are trauma, isolation, and hopelessness. And it's not just drugs. I found this editorial in the Washington Post. It said, suicides are at an all-time high. We need hope more than ever. Starts out, it says, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently released a report that is the closest thing that we have to the quantification of despair. Between 1999 and 2017, suicide rates in the United States rose to their highest levels since World War II. The increase can be found among women and men in every racial and ethnic group. But the spike among people between the ages of 15 and 34 is particularly disturbing. Hopelessness among the young seems a more direct result or a direct assault on hope itself. There was a line that struck me at the end of the article. I want to read you. It says, "Autonomy is a lie. Human beings believe they are fundamentally uh, human beings are fundamentally social creatures who find mental health only in the context of supportive relationships. Autonomy." is a lie. You think you're a rock. You think you're an island, but you're not, right? Human beings are fundamentally social creatures who find mental health only in the context of, supporting, of supportive relationships. At both the scholarly and the popular level, what we're doing is we're finding that isolation and hopelessness are the great killers of our age, which means that connection and hope are the cure. We have a simple way that we talk about this at Whitewater, right? We say, we want you to connect with God and others. 
We want you to connect with God and others. We talk all the time about connecting with God, but when it comes to connecting with others, my question is always real simple. Do you have people? Do you have people? I remember the first time I ever knew that I had people. When I was in college, I lived in a house with like 15 or 20 other guys, all right? And at the start of my senior year, I ran out of money. I'd been working a ton, trying to pay my way through, and I worked so much that I lost some of my need-based aid, and uh, then I couldn't pay my bill for, uh, for college that fall. I'd already started all my classes, and I got a note from the finance office that said, you will be unenrolled if you don't pay by the end of the week. Now, between the money I'd saved up and the loans I'd taken out, I was pretty close, all right? I don't remember the exact amount. It was about $500. Now, that's both a lot of money and not a lot of money, right? On the one hand, it's a lot of money for me as I'm working a part-time minimum wage job, right? To make $500 is going to take me more than a month. Um, but it's not like drop out of college and wreck your future money. You know what I'm saying? In hindsight, there were things I could have done, right? I could have gone to the finance office and explained the situation and said, this is what we can do. Can we work out like a payment plan? Can we work something out? Is there any other loans that I could take? Is there something I could do to, to bridge this gap? Or I could have actually called my parents. Uh, at the t- I know some, the parents are like, yeah, right? I'm a parent now. I'm like, of course, I'd have, I'd have, you know, I'd have, my parents would have taken care of me. But at the time, I had moved out when I was 17, uh, when I was still in high school, and my parents and I weren't, like, talking. And so I didn't feel at the time like I could do that, right? Like, I'm just not going to go to my parents on this. And I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had no options. So I went to the house. This is before social media, right? So uh, we actually had a wall in the house that we all just posted notes on, and so I posted on the wall. Um, and, uh, and I just put a note on the wall that said, guys, I have until Friday to find $500 or I have to, um, I have to leave school. I put the note on there, went to class. When I came back from class, I went into my room and there, there was an envelope on my desk with $500 cash in it. And I didn't think there was $500 cash in the whole house. Like, we were broke. (laughs) And there, it was in an envelope on my desk. And I I found out that somebody saw it, and they got all the guys in the house together, and everybody took a collection, and they came up with $500. And that was how I paid my tuition on my senior year of, uh, of college. I spent some time this week trying to remember that day in as much detail as I could. I remember seeing the envelope, I don't remember counting out the bills in the finance office, although I, I must have, right? But I remember walking across the campus holding the envelope, right? And just thinking like, that just happened. I have people. I have people. See, we all need people. We live in a nation that is starving for real human connection. We know the intimate details of people that live across the country from us, but we're still lonely. It seems insane. It's like, how could I be lonely? I have 300 Facebook friends, right? But study after study after study shows that social media use actually decreases, not increases. Um, It decreases our feelings of well-being. The more you're on social media, the more you feel isolated and lonely. 
people are hungry for real human connections. Now, I've lived all over the country, all right? And I have to say that this particular place, right, the tri-state, like if you dropped a pin right here at Whitewater, it took like a five or a 10 mile radius. This particular place is one of the most socially connected areas in the entire country, okay? I was born in Michigan. I grew up in Indianapolis. Uh, we moved to Chicago when I was high, in high school. I moved out of my parents' house and moved back to Indianapolis. Uh, I went to college in Tennessee. From Tennessee, I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. I lived there for five years. Moved here to Price Hill, Cincinnati, just, you know, up the road a little bit. From Price Hill, we moved to uh, Kentucky. Then we moved to Kentucky again, different places in and around Lexington. Then we moved back to Cleves four, five, five-ish, almost six years ago. All right? So I can tell you authoritatively, the west side, or for you Indiana people, the southeast is just weird. <laughs> it is weird. There is not any place like this, all right? There is nowhere that I've been where so many people have long-term relationships as they have right here, right? I've never seen a place where people are still in regular contact with the people they went to grade school with. That's not normal, okay? <laughs> But even here in the tri-state, people can still feel isolated. Now, some of you are like me, west side transplants. Who's a west side transplant? All right, a few of us. I've been told that if I live in my house the rest of my life, I will still not be a west sider when I die. <laughs> but my kids will be west siders because they're gonna graduate from Taylor, okay? So like, my kids will be in, but I'm gonna be an outsider the rest of my life, right? It's kind of a joke, but kind of not. Like, you all laugh, but it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but if you've moved here, you know it's hard to make friends when everybody already has friends, right? Or some of you, uh, maybe you grew up around here, right? Like, you're a pure native. You've got all the friends you had growing up, but maybe you kind of drifted apart. You're not close to anybody the way you were before. Or maybe you still see your crew on the regular, but they see you as your high school self, Right? And they don't really recognize that you've changed and grown, that you're not that person anymore. Maybe you're like my friend Lori who says, I still run with the same crew that I've known since second grade. But it's hard because none of them want to talk about faith. Right? I need somebody to talk about faith with. Here's the reality. Everybody needs a community. Everybody needs a community. But Christians need a spiritual community. Everybody needs a community. Christians need a spiritual community. You need people that, can talk about, that you can talk about faith with. As soon as you're, uh, I lost my place. Everybody needs a spiritual community. Did you know that we do this in Harbortown? That we start this in Harbortown? Like as soon as your kid gets out of the nursery, they are put in a Harbortown small group and that's what they're in every Sunday, right? Same room every week. Every kid in Harbortown spends Sunday morning both in a big group, which is kind of like, age-appropriate this, and then in a small group, right? Just like you're in a small group. And we keep this up for our students. The best thing going on in my seventh grader's life, right? The best thing going on, at least in her spiritual life, is her group of seventh grade girls that she meets with every Sunday morning. That's her, that gives her life. That small group, that group of people that she shares life with is so critical to her. Some of you have teenagers. You know that the student union is moving from Sunday morning to Sunday night, 
right? Why are they doing that? One of the big reasons is to make sure that we give high schoolers enough time to actually interact in groups, right? This is what our kids need, and it's what you need. Remember what I said, we want you to connect with God and others? See, both of those things are important. Sometimes I talk to Christians who are like, it's just me and God, right? I don't need anybody else. And I get that. I get, the, I get where that's coming from, right? Jesus is all we need, okay? But think about this. Genesis chapter 1, all the way on the left, right? Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. Maybe you've heard the story before. God keeps creating things. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Plants, it's good. Fish, it's good. Animals, good. Birds, good. Six times in Genesis 1, it's, we read, it was good or it was very good. But then you turn the page. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It goes on and says, I will make a helper suitable to him. A helper. I need to pause here because I just lost like 55% of the congregation. All right, <laughs> ladies, stay with me. When we use the word helper today, it has connotations like assistant, Right? apprentice, helper, right? So Adam's busy subduing the earth. Eve is going out to pick up coffee and like his dry cleaning or something, right? (laughs) The word that's actually used here does not imply a lesser or subordinate role. In fact, the word that we translate as help or helper, guess who it usually refers to in the Old Testament? It usually refers to God. God is our help in times of trouble. So you can parse this however you want. I do not recommend you going through life thinking that God is your assistant. (laughs) A friend of mine used to say, he said, God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to drive, okay? So (laughs) what's in mind here is um, is not the junior apprentice. When God says that Eve is a helper to Adam, what is he saying? He's saying she's the one who does for Adam what he cannot do for himself. What's the problem that God is solving? It's not an issue where like Adam's chores aren't getting done. The issue is, it specifically says, the problem is that Adam is alone. That Adam is alone and it's not good. So here's my question for you. In what sense is Adam alone? He walked with God in the cool of the day. They had conversations Adam and God are actually like hanging out and chilling in the Garden of Eden, right? They're doing work together. God's giving Adam assignments. There has never been a human being except for Jesus Christ himself who was as close to God as Adam was. And yet God says, he's alone, and that's not good. C.S. Lewis has this uh, really famous quote where he says that each of us is born with a God-shaped hole in our heart, right? That you have a God-shaped hole in your heart that nothing except God is ever gonna fix. Nothing except God is ever gonna fill. We can try to fill it with all kinds of things, right? We try to fill it with relationships or we try to fill it with um, money, with success, with pharmaceuticals, right? Like whatever your thing is that you're trying to fill that hole with, it's never gonna be successful, because only God is really gonna fill that perfectly. But if we're gonna take this story seriously, 
then I think it at least implies that God has also created us us with a people-shaped hole in our heart that he chooses not to fill. That each of us has a people-shaped hole in our heart. He didn't make us to be alone. He created us for community. So everybody needs people. But even if you got people, you might need some more, right? Maybe you need some different people. Everybody needs community, but Christians also need a spiritual community. You, need, you might have somebody to take you to the airport, right? Okay, cool. But who do you have that's going to pray for you? The journey of faith is hard, and it's going to go on the rest of your life. So who is going to run with you? Who's going to walk with you? Who's going to carry you when you can't carry yourself? There's a story I love about Jesus, right? It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. It's early in Jesus' ministry, and he's just starting to get famous, right? He's almost famous. And Jesus is in a house. He's teaching, and people keep coming in. Right? He's just there, he's just going, and people keep coming in the door. And eventually the house gets full, people open up the door, they're crowding outside, people are sticking their head in the window, right? Like everybody wants to know what's going on with Jesus because he's not just teaching, he's also doing miracles. Right? People are coming in and they're sick, and he's like, not sick anymore. And so he's doing this thing, and people are trying as hard as they can to get close to Jesus. Read this with me. It says, one day Jesus was preaching, was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. That's a big area. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay hands, to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles and into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Let me pause here. When I was a kid, we had these like Bible storybooks, right, with pictures of, of what was going on. And this guy is always lowered through the roof, and he's lowered in like a medical grade stretcher, right, like, like this. I, I looked online, I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's like this, right? It's got like this, it's really stiff, and it's like perfectly, you look like, it looks like he's ready for like a back bra- or a neck brace and an IV to get hung, right? Like it's just really medical grade there. But um, that's not what the text says. The text says that he's laying on a mat which is like a thick blanket, okay? So the dude's laying on his blanket and his friends come and they say, the miracle worker's in town, we gotta get you to him. And everybody picks up a corner and they go, right? And they get to the house and they're too late because it's already full. They said, not stopping, we're going on the roof, right? And they get up on the roof and they start taking up the shingles, right? And then I've seen pictures of this where it's like they let the man down and there's this nice like open area that the man gets let down in. But the text says that the house is full of people. And in fact, what it says is, it goes on. It says, uh, or, uh, that's right. It says, they were unable to do this. They went up on the roof, lowered him on a mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right? So you're here, some stuff drops on you, you look up, and here comes the guy. And they kind of crowd surfed him to Jesus, all right? That's just biblical. I'm just telling you. And what does Jesus do? He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Which is, of course, totally why they brought him there. Right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins except God alone? Which, ironically, they're exactly right. Ain't nobody forgiven sin except God alone. 
Jesus knew what they were thinking. He asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now here's the part that I love. I don't know if you caught it. Here's the part that I love. This story is unique in the New Testament because it wasn't this guy's faith that saved him. It was his friend's faith. Did you catch that? It said, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now he's a part of it, right? I think he can be in the they, but it's not just him. And I can also imagine sometimes it was hard for that guy to have faith, all right? Hard for him to believe that things would get better. Hard to have hope. But he had friends who literally picked him up and carried him when he couldn't walk. It's not the paralyzed guy that impresses Jesus. It's his friends. Here's what I want you to consider. You could be that friend for someone else. I've talked a lot today about how you need community, how you need people, right? How you need connection. And all of that is true. But the best way to get those things isn't to to sit and complain that nobody loves you, all right? The best way to get those things is to go be that person for someone else. You have a neighbor, you have a coworker, you have a friend, you have a family member who you could, be, you could invite to be part of your circle. Or maybe your circle's full already, right? You need to like figure out how to invest more than you've ever invested before, kick it into a higher gear. Look at this picture again and tell me, are, are you the guy in the mat? Or are you the friends up here lowering them down? Maybe you're both. On Thursday, January 30th, we're kicking off the Hope Campaign. There's going to be a daily devotional. There's going to be some scripture memorization. There's going to be an amazing night of worship further on in February. And there's going to be a six-week group experience. Our goal, and this is crazy, our goal is that a 1,000 people at Whitewater are in a Hope group. A 1,000 people at Whitewater are in a Hope group. So to tell you a little bit more about hope groups, I want to bring up Whitewater's new groups guy, Matt Wright, to the stage. Matt, you're out here? Matt! <laughs> Matt, I, I got to tell you, as the former Whitewater groups guy, I'm really excited that you're here, all right? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Micah. Uh, so I, like Micah, am also a transplant here to the Cincinnati area. I came from Dayton, Ohio. Me and my wife, Monica, are currently living over in Delhi. Uh, near Delshire Elementary School. Yeah, Delhi in the house. Um, so we live near Delshire Elementary School, which is really convenient for Monica because she teaches there as a first grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Me, I was formerly working at Cincinnati Christian University before coming here. So thank right. you guys for welcoming me to the family. Yes, glad to have you. Now, Matt, I've been telling people why they need to get in a group. I need you to tell us how to get in a group. Guys, getting into the group is so easy. All you have to do is start a group. Yeah. 100% of the people who start a group are already in a group. It's That's crazy. That's how it works. That's just how facts are. You know? That's math. Um, but you guys, all of you have a friend, a coworker, a family member that maybe they would never come to Whitewater, at least not yet, but they would come to your house if you just invited them. And so that's what we're challenging you to do is invite those people. And it's not forever. It's just for six weeks. So um, if 
just get, bring them in, invite them into that, and that's how you can get into a group. All right. Now, Matt, I don't think that I personally could ever lead a group because I probably don't have the spiritual gift of leadership. So what do I do? That's really not that uncommon, actually. A ton of small group leaders aren't that gifted in leadership. Really, all we're asking you to do is host a group for six weeks. And anybody with a thumb and a streaming or DVD player could host a group. It's all video-based, and all they, they basically run themselves. So if you have a DVD player, you have a TV, you can host a group. All right, we're going to pause a minute. Can I get Matt's info right back up here? Right there. Perfect, all right. So, Matt, um, how long do I have before I need to get my group together? Like, all if right. I was thinking, okay, I want to have a group, how long do I have to, like, invite them in? All right, so we're starting this all up the week of February 2nd. So if, say, your group is going to meet on a Tuesday, you have until February 4th to get everybody together and on the same page. Okay. Um, I have a couple of people that I could invite but I don't know that I have like a whole group's worth of people that I can invite. What would I do? That makes sense. You know, I think we actually have this really cool thing called group link for that. Group link, really? Group link, yes. So if you have a little bit of a group or maybe you are looking to start a group, group link is the place for you. I think everybody should come to group link. So we're going to get a bunch of people into a room. So bring yourself, bring a couple people that you think you want to be in a group with. And by the time you leave there, we can guarantee that you will have a group. Okay, tell me more about group link. What do I need to know? Well, I can actually do one better than that. Here's a video about it. Hey church, I want to share with you um, something super near and dear to my heart, and that's my small group. And uh, been at Whitewater for almost five years and joined a group right off the bat with some people I loved and grew with. And then some things changed and um, our family grew, me and my husband, we had a baby. And it was actually that same weekend that I had my daughter, so two years ago, that there was a group link here at church. And that's really what I wanna talk about is the importance of group link. Um, we were nervous to meet our people. Um, we're kinda picky. <laughs> uh, but we thought group link would be a great opportunity. I couldn't make it because I had Navy that day, but I sent some of my other group members to group link and kinda said, scope it out for us. Um, find some people that we can do life with and um, be selective, find the really best people, cool people. They did a great job. I love my small group. I know you guys are out there, so I love you. But anyway, um, Group Link was just a super easy way to meet people, people that looked like us, acted like us, had the same um, you know, goals in life, raising families, being involved in church. It was just a great opportunity, and I would encourage you to join us at Group Link um, at the end of this month, January 26th and 29th. It's a Sunday night or a Wednesday night at 6.30. Um, but I just have to tell you a little personally, um, small group is what it's all about, connecting with people and connecting with God in our homes. It's been kind of life-changing for us, and um, especially in this season of our life, some hard stuff coming up, and our group is there for us, um, making meals for us. My small group hung our Christmas lights outside of our home for us this year. And if I go on and talk about it too much, I'll start crying with, with happy tears and lots of emotions. But I, I love my small group. And I'm telling you, it's because of the opportunity we had to come to GroupLink. We found people that were just perfect for us. So I really encourage you, take this step. It's not a, not a huge step, it's kind of a small step. Coming here, it'll be in the worship center where we're at right now, and just experience, um, 
I think the best part of this life and that would be small group life. So please join me, I'll be there. I'll help you find your people. Um, and you will not leave disappointed. You will leave with a group. You will leave with people that um, I think you'll, you'll really grow to love. So I hope to see you at group link. There you go. All right, hey, Matt, thank you, buddy. Hey, let's thank give Matt God. a hand. Matt is a serious catch, and uh, I'm thrilled to have him taking over the, uh, the group's role here at Whitewater. I'm not going anywhere, don't worry, uh, but I'm really glad to have Matt on the team. So our dream is for 1,000 people to be in hope groups. A group can be any size, but uh, if groups have eight-ish people on average, then we would need like 125 groups to, um, to have enough people to put 1,000 people in groups. And so that means that a lot of you who think I'm talking to someone else are just now realizing that I'm actually talking to you. Is that sinking in? Like, you're it, all right? So thinking about starting a group can be stressful. Here's, we're gonna do a simple exercise to close out our time, just so you could know who you could invite, all right? I call it the five F's, and uh, I promised David I would not call it the five F words, so I'm not gonna do that, all right? Uh, the five F's, uh, if you've got your bulletin, pull it out, look on the back. You have different circles where you have relationships, right? There's different places where you know people, and uh, in each one of those circles, there are people that you could possibly invite to a group, all right? So here are the circles. The first is family. Who are you related to, all right? Friends, who do you hang out with? Factory or firm, right? Okay, we're stretching a little bit here. Who do you work with is where that's going, all right? Fun, who do you play with? Faith or fellowship, who do you know from church, all right? So get out a pen or pencil. We're just going to take a minute. Get out a pen or pencil. I'm going to run through the list, and I want you to jot down one or two names, if possible, in each one. Now, some of those you're like, I don't know anybody in this category, but maybe I know three people over here. All right, and see if you can take just a minute and get some names down of people that you know that you could invite to be in a hope group with you. All right? Now, if you get three or more people in to join your group, then we'll just give you the group materials. There's no payment. There's none of that. We're just going to give them to you, okay? And we'd love for that nucleus to expand so you, if all of you could come to GroupLink together and just find some more people, fill it out, you know, pad it out, and uh, eventually there will be some online signups as well. So family. Come on, Westside. You got, you got like a cousin that you could invite, right? Like your brother-in-law lives two streets over. Like there's somebody that you could invite to join your group. Or friends. Where'd you go to school, Right? Who do you need to catch up with? Factory or firm? Who, do you, who, just, who did you just think of? You're like, oh, I work with this person. You could actually do a group at your work if your employer is okay with that. Different, you know, jobs will have different things you're allowed to do. You could also invite them to your house. Fun. Who do you play with? Who do you golf with? Who do you ride? <laughs> Perfect. Who do you ride motorcycles with, right? Who do you play basketball with? I don't know what women do for fun. Those are things I, you know. <laughs> Faith, fellowship. Who do you know at Whitewater? It's okay to just lean over to somebody that you think, like, I'd like to get to know these people better and be like, hey, we're starting a group in our house. You want to come, right? All right, that's it from me this week. Now, if you uh, are ready to talk about groups, Matt and I would love to talk with you and get you going. We're going to have one more song to sing, and this is a song to sing, and then this is kind of a change of pace. I know we've been going this way. We're going we're gonna to pivot slightly. Um, I don't know, but I suspect that after All In last week, there might be some people that, um, that were regretting not going in. Like you were thinking it was your time, it was your time, and you just didn't get up 
there, all right? So in this last song, I just want you to know, I'm gonna be right down over here in front of the baptistry, and we are gonna, uh, the, the water's warm, and we're gonna uh, have the tank open, so if you'd like to get baptized today after service, um, we can make that happen, all right? So I just wanna make one final uh, pitch to close out All In Weekend last week, like this is the after party, so if anybody wants to do that, uh, I'll be right down here, all right?